Thank you, Mom. That was sweet. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? How's everybody doing today? Doing good? We alive? We awake? We ready for the word? Man, I'm so excited. I love my Avon Lake family. I love you guys so much. I love being here, and so I appreciate you having me. You know, today we're going to get into the word, and I have a message for you. Um, it's called Not My Will. I know. Pastor Sue, I'm sorry. Came all the way over here just to kind of deliver some, some not good news. But, but it's called Not My Will. And many of you might know where this kind of comes from, right? It's a chapter, um, it's a verse in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have your Bible, you can flip there really quick, Matthew chapter 26. But what we see is we see that Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He's praying right before he gets to the cross. And there's this moment where Jesus is in turmoil. He's struggling. The Bible actually says that he's so stressed out that he begins to bleed from his forehead. And it, the Bible says that he's, his soul is into the, unto the point of death. It's pretty intense, right? So this is a very intense moment. And Jesus, he says this prayer and he says, he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. And scholars and different pastors and theologians, we dissect this verse and try to figure out what Jesus was talking about. And, and we, we, kind of, we kind of just analyze this from, from how this has affected Jesus. But what I realized is that this isn't in the Bible for Jesus, this isn't the Bible for you. <laughs> There's a story in the Bible also where Jesus is ministering. He's doing all of these things, right? And the Bible says that suddenly this voice thunders from heaven and it says, this is my son who I'm, I'm well pleased. You should hear him. And Jesus responds to this voice and he says, God didn't say this for me. He said this for you so that you would hear his affirmation of me. So I believe with all my heart that this isn't in the Bible for us, for, for Jesus. This is in the Bible for us. Jesus was our example. He was our blueprint. And in this moment, Jesus was showing us as Christians the priority of our life. It should be not as I will, but as you will. It's a response to a holy God. When you come into covenant with him as a believer, our response every single day, every single moment should be, God, not what I want, but what you want. And so we're gonna talk about this a little bit today. So the idea of this message, if you don't hear anything, hear this. The idea is this, that Jesus didn't die so you wouldn't have to. He died to show you how. So Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to die, right? Heard that a lot. And in, in, in some respects, it's true. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our sin. But that doesn't mean Jesus died so that you and I would just have a, a cush Christian life and not have to worry about anything. That's not necessarily the point here. Jesus died as our example. He went to the cross to show us what it means to lay down our will and pick up God's will. So he didn't die so you wouldn't have to. He died to show us how to die. In Matthew chapter 16, a few chapters before we see Jesus on the cross, we see him actually give this, give this teaching to his disciples. He says this in, in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So if your desire as a believer is to follow Jesus in the footsteps of Jesus, then your requirement is to take up your cross and follow him. Jesus, again, in another place says this, that if you seek to 
grab a hold of your life and save your life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you would lay your life down, what you'll find is that you'll actually find life. You'll find what you've been looking for. And so for the next few moments, I want to talk to us about three different ways that we can lay down our life, lay down our desires, lay down our will. And I believe that we, we will learn collectively together how to find what true life is. Amen? You ready for it? I came all the way over to Cle- from Cleveland just to beat you guys up, okay? So it's going to be good. Do me a favor, bow your head with me. Let's pray for a few moments before we get into it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we ask, Holy Spirit, right now, according to your word in Ephesians 1.17, that you would fill this room with wisdom and revelation, that we would know you, that we would see you, God, that our eyes would be we open to the truth of who you are, that when we leave this room, we're not just leaving the same as we entered, but we're leaving differently, not because we heard some good music and a good message, but because we've came into contact with Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We've understood you in a deeper way, God. So we love you and we bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 So the first thing that we have to understand is that the cross brings joy. The cross brings joy. And I know that doesn't sound like it makes much sense because those are a really bad thing and a good thing at the same time. But, but as Christians, when we wrap our minds around this, when we understand that laying down our life actually brings joy in your life. How many want to be happy people and not mean angry people, right? If you want to be a happy person, you want to be, have life filled with joy, the idea is that you have to pick up your cross. You know, I have a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. He's three, right? Yep, he's going to be four in May. And then a one-year-old son... And so we have no obedience in our house at all, right? It just, it's just chaos. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, when we're telling my daughter, Riley, to clean her room, oftentimes it's a fight. It's a mess. I saw this meme just this last week because it was Easter. It was really funny about parents saying, man, my kids can pick up 100 eggs in three minutes, but they can't pick up two toys in like two hours. It's hilarious. But that's true, right? That's just how, that's just life. And so, you know, when we tell our daughter Riley to clean, more times than not, it's a fight and it's an argument and it's like just the end of the world. But there are some times where for some unknown reason, if any parents have the hack here, let me know. But um, there are some times when we ask Riley to clean her room, she'll go to her room, she'll clean it right away and she's like super proud of how she cleaned her room. Has it, any parents experienced that before, right? Like it's, it's, it's like a miracle from heaven, right? It's like, thank you, Jesus, you're real, right? It's this idea that they're like, they're just doing what they're told. And it's so awesome when Riley goes, she'll clean her room and, and what she'll do is she'll run to me and she'll run to Emily and she'll, and she'll have this big smile on her face and she'll say, I did, I listened, look, come look at my room. And she wants to show you her room and she'll grab you by the hand and say, look at my room, look how clean it is. And Emily is a fantastic mother. She does such a great job at really celebrating Riley. So she'll walk in there and she'll go, oh my goodness, Riley, you did such a great job. I'm so proud of you, right? And it's, it's, such a, it's such an awesome moment. But the idea is that when Riley was cleaning, the act of cleaning didn't bring joy for her. The act of picking up toys and putting them away, it's a grinding, like, just, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. But what Riley found at six years old is that when she follows in obedience and she does something that she doesn't necessarily want to do, there's joy found on the other end of that obedience. There is this sense sense of accomplishment and joy that says, I listened, I followed instruction, I obeyed, right? And at the other side of that obedience is joy. And it's the same for for you and me. I wanna show you this story in Acts chapter five. If you have that scripture verse, you can 
put it up there. Acts chapter five, I think it's a verse, yep, verse 40, there it is. Um, but we see this story of the apostles. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He, he goes to heaven, right? He sends his apostles to go make disciples of all nations. And, and that's what they're doing. They're busy preaching the word. They're busy healing people, making disciples, doing all these phenomenal things, right? And the, the religious council at the time, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're pretty upset about that. And so they grab Peter and all the other guys. They bring them in and they say, hey, you need to stop preaching about Jesus, you need to cut it out. You need to quit. And they, they even beat him. And, 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 and there's this interaction. We won't read it. But Peter says this, if it's, if it's right to listen to you or to God, you decide. But we're going to be obedient. That's what Peter says. And then this is what it says here in, in verse 40. They're, the council were, were talking together and the council agreed this. It says, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Look at this. This is so cool. They departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They, they departed that experience with two black eyes and a heart full of joy, right? And, and this is what I want us to understand here because I don't want to try to, I don't want to like toe this line because I know that there's Christians who believe that there is merit and joy in suffering. And that's not what I'm trying to say here today, because the, the idea is this, there's not joy in suffering. There's joy in obedience above everything else. It's not like they didn't get beat up and they're like, oh, I'm so happy that I got beat up. No, no, no. That's not the point here. They were happy because even in spite of harm, they followed the Lord. They were obedient to the Lord. And you have to remember something. This is Peter, right? This is the same guy just a few weeks earlier when there was, no, no offense to any little girls here, but, but you're just not that intimidating, right? But, but Peter, in front of a little girl, when she asked him, hey, aren't you that guy that was following Jesus? Peter was so afraid and intimidated that he, he chose self-preservation over his faith in, in Christ. And he denied that he even knew Jesus, this is the same Peter that had to live with that agony, that turmoil, that, that disappointment in himself when he said, man, I chose myself, my own will, my own flesh, my own desires over following Jesus. And I could imagine this dialogue that Peter had in this moment where he said, I'm not gonna make that mistake again. And he says to this religious council, listen, even if you beat me up, I'm not going to follow your way or your will. I'm going to follow his will for my life. And it wasn't, joy didn't come in the suffering. Joy came at the other end of it when Peter said, man, even when I got beat up, I stayed true to the Lord. I laid down my life. I laid down my will and I followed him. There's joy even in the most difficult circumstances when you know as a Christian and as a believer Man, I didn't choose self-preservation. <laughs> I laid down my life to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. We see this awesome scripture verse in Hebrews chapter two also. It says this, that looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, Hebrews chapter 12, sorry, not two, verse two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now we've heard this scripture verse many times and oftentimes it's interpreted like this, that you and I are the joy that was set before him. And that's true. You and I were the joy where Jesus 
endured the suffering for us. And I'd like to suggest this, that not only were you and I the joy, but there was a joy in Jesus that he saw, man, I'm coming to this earth and I'm fulfilling every word that God sent me here to do. I'm fulfilling every prophecy, everything that I was sent to do, I am going to do it. The Bible says this of Jesus. Jesus actually says this, that I don't speak unless I hear the Father speak. I don't act unless I hear, see the Father act. Everything that I do is in direct obedience to the Father. And so Jesus laid down his life. He endured the cross. He didn't find joy in the cross. There wasn't joy in the suffering for Jesus. There was joy after the fact, knowing that if I can endure the suffering, I can find myself in obedience to the Lord. And so as Christians, what this means for us is just like Riley cleaning her room, going through the things that we don't necessarily want to do. We have to understand that when you and I are obedient to the Lord, the obedience might not be fun. The obedience might be difficult. It might be hard to lay that thing down. It might be hard when you read your Bible and you say, oh man, God, you want me to give that up? Oh, I can't do that, right? That moment in your life might be difficult, but I promise you, if you want to find joy in your life, lay it down. Pick up your cross and die to your will, your way. Say, not my will, God, but your will. And you'll find joy. That's what Jesus says. If you lay down your life, you'll find life. But if you try to hold it, you're going to lose it. And how true is that? Oftentimes we try to hold on to our happiness, create happiness, create joy, and, and we get happiness from time to time. But happiness is dependent on your circumstance. It's dependent on what's going on at the time. Joy is found in Christ regardless of what's going on. So the cross brings joy. Here's the second thing the cross brings. The cross brings good things. Can everybody say good things? Good things. How many in here want good things in their life? Well, this isn't a trick question. You can raise your hand, right? You want, what good things? You want, you want to have enough money? You want to have a, a great home? You want to have a great relationship with your kids? You want to have health? You want to have a, a great marriage, right? We want good things, and that's not a bad thing to desire. We want good things, but here's the truth, and here's what I want you to understand, is that good things come from the cross. Good things come when you and I lay down our life to the Lord. You know, a couple days ago, I was, we were making cookies. We were making Easter Resurrection Day sugar cookies. They were so good. I ate probably like 90% of them. Yeah, I, I know. Anyways, um, we were making them as a family, and <laughs> Emily has this big, uh, what's that thing called? It's like a kitchen aid kitchen aid thing, a giant mixer. Has anybody, does anybody have one of those? It's like 150 pounds. It weighs so much. Every time I pull that thing out, I'm like... Oh yeah, okay, on the counter. It's crazy. Um, but so we were we were mixing the the, the cookie dough and and you know my my three year old. I keep forgetting how old he's just so big. I feel like he's like ten. Um, my three year old boy Judah. He was making cookies with us, and so Emily and I were putting the ingredients in this bowl. And that thing is pretty aggressive. If you've seen one of those things mix, it's like it's like. Zoosh, zoosh, zoosh. And Judah, and I knew it, I saw it in his eyes before he even did it. He picked up his hand to go touch it as it's going. I know, right? And, and me and Emily both at the same time were like, Judah, don't do that. Stop it. And we were freaking out at him because I'm like, man, you get your hand caught in there, you could lose a finger, right? Like you could break something. You could really hurt yourself. And, and so we told Judah, you know, 
listen, parents, don't be mad at me, but a little bit of fear is healthy for children, right? So, so I was like, Judah, look, if you touch that, <laughs> your, your finger's gonna get ripped off or something. You know, I said something like that. And you can tell like his face just flushed white and he was just like horrified. He's like, oh no, I don't want my finger to get ripped off. And it was really funny. But a few moments went by, like maybe two minutes. And this is just beyond me. Sometimes Judah does things and I'm like, bro, what are you doing? But about two minutes goes by and and we put more ingredients in there. We start the mixer and you can see it in his eyes. He was having this internal battle. It was like, I want to touch it, but I can't touch it. I want, you can see it, right? You can see this play out. And then all of a sudden, in the, in the middle of this thing mixing, he lifts his hand up to touch it. And before me and Emily both were like, Judah, but before we could even say his name, it was almost like he corrected himself, you know? Like he picked his hand up. He's like, oh, no, I don't want to lose a finger. But it was so funny to see this like battle go on in this little three-year-old's mind where he's like, I want to do this, but I know if I do it, I'll get hurt. I want to touch this thing, but I know if I touch it, I'll get hurt. And as Christians, this is kind of where some of us live our life, right? We know that there are certain things in the world that are not good for us. We know that the Lord has said, hey, you should stay away from this. You shouldn't participate in this. Maybe you shouldn't go here or be around these types of people. And we can't help but touch it sometimes. <laughs> we can't help to reach our hand out and to touch those things that we really know are going to hurt us in the end. And the idea is this, that our, our desire is genuine, right? We want good things in life and we feel like, man, that relationship or doing that thing or whatever that th thing is that we touch, we feel like it's gonna be good for us, but the truth is it's not good for you. And the Lord knows that. And so what the Lord's saying to us today is, listen, if you would lay those things down, then I want to give you good things. And, and this, is, this is what I wanna encourage you with here today. I wanna to kind, of, kind of put your mind at ease because sometimes when you read the Bible and you hear people preaching about righteousness and holiness, you kind of feel like God's mean and he's just a bully and he's just trying to like make you live a dull life. But that's not the truth. Did you know that God also wants good things for you? Like God's desire for your life is good things as well. You know, in the Bible, there's a story where God takes the children of Israel and he, and he puts them on two separate mountains. And he says, listen, I have blessing for you and I have curses for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pick which one you want. And then God kind of gives them the answer. He says, choose life. <laughs> choose this. This is better for you, right? So God's desire for us is that we would have good things, but that, would, that requires us to not touch the things God says not to touch to lay those desires down and to say, God, you know better than I do. I'm gonna trust you. I wanna read the scripture verses, probably one of the most popular scripture verses in the Bible. Many people in this room might even have it tattooed on your body somewhere, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody, anybody have a Jeremiah 29, 11 tattoo? Okay, maybe in the last service. But you def somebody in this room definitely has this hanging up on their wall somewhere in their house, okay? Yep, yep, we got some hands raised. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we all know it says this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is, this is God's desire for us. He wants to give you good things. He wants good things for you. And I love this scripture verse because the whole, the whole book of Jeremiah, really, Emily was cracking me up. She's reading the book of Jeremiah right now. And, and she, she was talking to me. She's like, man, I, this book is 
boring. It's just the same thing over and over again. It's like this long pronouncement of judgment and doom to the children of Israel for like 50 something chapters, just nothing but like, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. It's like, oh my goodness, it's, it's kind of hard to, to take in. But, but in the middle of that judgment, this pops up. And in Jeremiah 29, what we see is that God is giving the children of Israel a very specific pronouncement of judgment. And what he says is going to happen, and this is actually in verse 10, just one verse in front of this. He says, you're going to be exiled for 70 years. You're going into exile because your hearts were turned away from me. But then the very next verse, he says, but I know, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're good. I want good things. And a lot of times when God asks us to lay down those addictions, whether it's drinking or drugs or alcohol or, or, or maybe it's even like sexual immorality. I know many, many men, I've had conversations with many guys and even, and even girls deal with pornography addictions and all of this sexual immorality. And, and it's hard because those things can seemingly satisfy us in the moment. But the truth is if we keep touching those things, those things lead to destruction. And this is where the children of Israel found themselves. They found themselves constantly running to things of the world and their hearts turning away from the Lord. And we might see God's judgment as something bad and harsh, but man, this is a beautiful thing. This was God's mercy for them by saying, I'm, I'm going to exile you so that your hearts will be turned back to me because if I don't punish you for this, if I don't allow you to receive these consequences, you're never gonna turn your heart back from me and you're gonna ultimately be led to destruction. And the idea is this, when God asks you to stop touching something, as Christians, we have to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. I won't touch it. I know it might be hard. It might be hard to stop doing that thing. It might be hard to, to cut that individual or that relationship off that you know is not good for you. It might be difficult and you might even be angry about it. God, why would you ask me to give this up? But the idea is this. He wants good things for you more than you want good things for you. And you have to trust the Lord and lay that thing down and say, God, you know what? I'm gonna put it down. I trust you. There's a scripture verse I read uh, recently, and I don't have it with me, but it's in Psalms chapter four, verse five. And David says, offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Offer up the sacrifice of righteousness. What does that mean? That means this, that your idea of righteousness, of holiness, where God asks you to live a pure and holy life, it's hard. It is hard. It's a sacrifice. It's not easy. It's not easy to follow the, the word of the Lord. It's not easy to do that. But David's saying this, offer up the sacrifice of righteousness. This is a beautiful thing that you and I get to do. And, and this is something that we'll only be able to do here on earth. We won't be able to offer the sacrifice of righteousness in heaven because in heaven it won't be a sacrifice. And when you think about righteousness and holiness in the life of a believer, and I, I want to kind of go an off topic a little bit, but I, wanna, I want you to understand this because this is very important, that when, when you look at your holiness and your righteousness through the view and the lens of more of a religious mindset, like when you think about this, like Jesus died on the cross and so he covered my sins, so it doesn't matter what I do, right? And, that, and that's, it's not true, but, but that's kind of the thought process, right? It's like, well, why should I try to live a, a holy, a pure life? Because he covered all of my sins. And if, if 
the end goal for you in your mind is to get to heaven. If that's what you're thinking of like, okay, all right, Dominic, just tell me how to get to heaven. Like, I just want to, I just want to be good for eternity. I don't really care what goes on here. If that's your end goal, then living a holy, righteous life doesn't make sense. It doesn't because there's no reason to live your life here righteous if just getting to heaven is your end goal. But can I tell you something, church, that heaven is not the goal. Heaven's not the end goal. It's not. And I know that might be weird to hear, but Jesus even says this in John chapter 17, verse three, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus equates eternal life, not to paradise in heaven. He equates eternal life to knowing God, to knowing Jesus. And this is the lens that you have to look through in order to really understand holiness and righteousness. It's not about getting to heaven. It's about knowing the Lord. It's about being close to God. It's about communing with him. And when you understand that, what you find is that you have an ability to offer a sacrifice that pleases God, which is your life. Because now holiness and righteousness, we understand that it doesn't get us into heaven, right? I'm not saying that. Jesus' blood gets us there, right? He's, He's covered us. I'm not taking that away. You don't have to earn anything. But what you do get an opportunity to do is lay down your life as a gift to God. To say, God, my goal is not just to get to heaven. My goal is to know you. And I know that you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. And so I'm going to lay down to the best of my ability all the wickedness in my life not to try to get to heaven, but to please you, but to offer a sacrifice of holiness and righteousness to you. And when you really fall in love with God, it's not about getting to heaven. It's about knowing him. It's about pleasing him. It's about loving him well. And that's what, it, that's what we do when we lay down our life. When we say, not, your will, not my will be done, but your will in my life, God. I wanna please you. I wanna know you. So here's the last thing that I wanna share with you. The cross brings purpose. The cross brings purpose. You know, I was graduating high school. I actually graduated here in Avon Lake High School, and I graduated in 2010, and I remember my grandparents came to me, and they said, you know what, Dominic, we're going to get you a pretty amazing graduation present. And it was pretty amazing. They basically told me this, I will take you, I'll let you, you know, pay for a plane ticket. You can go anywhere in the world and do anything that you want. That's pretty awesome, right? To give to like an 18-year-old kid. I'm like, oh my gosh. My mind started racing. I'm like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to the Bahamas, I'm gonna go over to Europe, I'm gonna go to LA, I'm gonna do all this stuff, right? And I'm like trying to plan out my trip for me and my best friend. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do some amazing things. I was so excited. And then my mom came to me and she <laughs> I know, I know. You guys already know where this is coming, going. It's terrible. But this is actually good. So, so my mom was like, hey, we want to take this missions trip to, to Haiti. You know, the church was going to Haiti, and, and we had never been. Um, and, you know, our church does a lot of mission work over there. And she was like, hey, we want to take our family there to Haiti this summer and, and, and do some mission work. And I was like, okay, you guys have fun. I think I'm going to be in L.A. or, like, Jamaica or some, someplace. Me and my friend are going on a cruise. Like, we're going to do something fun. And she was like, no, I want you to come, but th- there's just one problem we can't afford to like pay for everyone, so you need to use that, that graduation gift that your grandparents are going to give you to go to a third world country and do mission, missionary work. And I was like, Mom, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. Like, this is my present. This is, you can't, I'm not going to the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere 
as my graduation gift. It's not happening. I'm going somewhere fun and nice. And then that summer, our whole family was in Haiti. So, you know, I was, I lost that one. But we ended up going to, to Haiti and um, we spent a, like about a week there. And I'll tell you something that that moment, that experience changed my life forever. It was in that moment that I truly like met the Lord, changed my life completely. And I understood my purpose and my destiny. And I know that's kind of a silly, it's a silly analogy because it, it doesn't seem that important. But if you remember when you graduated high school, like you're just young and to you, this is the world that you live in. And this was one of the most important things. And I had to lay it down. Like I couldn't go have fun with my friends. I couldn't do this awesome vacation that I wanted to, to go on. And I had plans after high school to go to play basketball in college. And, and I had this whole career and path for my life that was, had nothing to do with the church, right? I wanted to do something else. And, and it wasn't until I made even just a small sacrifice, right? And laid down my plans and desires that I found what God really had for me. I discovered my purpose, it, but it didn't come until... I brought it to the cross. And this is what I want to really just show you guys for a second is that this idea of laying what you want to do with your life down is the only way that you can experience and find out what God actually wants for your life. It's through the cross. And in this story, what I'm realizing about this story is that it's quickly becoming probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But it's a story where, where God comes to Abraham and in his old age, Abraham's about 75 years old. And God says, listen, I have a, I have a promise for you. I, you're going to be a father of many nations, right? And it's this incredible promise. But the problem was that Abraham didn't have any children. He, he didn't have any kids. So he couldn't have, be the father of, of many nations. And so 25 years later, right, he's 100 years old. He finally has his son. And the son, Isaac, is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is Abraham's destiny. He is Abraham's purpose. He is embodied the promise of God for Abraham's future. That is who Isaac is. And if you could imagine just the miraculous moment of that, of that time in, in Abraham's life, it's like, man, I had this word from the Lord. The Lord is going to do this with my life for years and years and years. I finally believed and the Lord finally produced what is my purpose and my destiny in the earth. It's so amazing. Until one day, randomly, out of nowhere, without warning, without anything, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, do you, do you remember that promise that I gave you? I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to go up onto that mountain and I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. And just imagine for a moment, all of the incredibly confusing and horrific thoughts that are running through your mind. You're saying, but God, you gave me this promise. You, I didn't act like, I didn't ask for this. You came to me, you put this on my heart. You spoke this over my life and you fulfilled this promise. Like, why are you doing this to me? And all of the questions that Abraham had. Bible says this, that Abraham woke up early in the morning in obedience to the word of God. And as Abraham's over Isaac with the knife, the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, stop, don't kill Isaac. And then what we see in this moment, I wanna encourage you, go back and read it in Genesis. But what we see in this moment is that God then pronounces the fullness of Abraham's destiny over his life. He says, listen, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. And he says this over Abraham, that the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. 
because of your obedience, the nations of the world will be blessed. This was God's final pronouncement of Abraham's full purpose. He wasn't just meant just to be a father of many nations. He, through his obedience, through his faithful following of the Lord, is, has produced blessing for the nations of this world. And Abraham didn't know it at the time, but through Abraham's seed would come Jesus, who would save humanity. And you can link that miraculous moment that Jesus died on the cross all the way back Abraham's obedience. He, re he received the full purpose and his full destiny. And this is the idea here today because I heard this conversation happen. I heard this conversation uh, um, not too long ago that this individual was saying, if, if God gave me this gift, if he gave me these desires, if he gave me this, 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 this desire to, to do this with my life, then why would he ask me to lay it down? And that's the wrong question. Because if you truly love God, there is no why. You would lay down everything. There's a story in the Bible where God tells Moses, he says, Moses, I'm going to give you guys the promised land. I'm gonna let the children of Israel go in the promised land, but they're just too difficult to deal with. So I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna go there with them. I'm just gonna let you go into the promised land. You guys enjoy it, but I'm not going. And Moses, as he's, confronted with the decision to either have the person of God or the promise of God, he chooses the person. He says, God, if you don't come, I'm not moving. If you don't go into the promised land with me, we're not, we're not going in. And this, like, think about this. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. This was, this was like a very terrible place to be in life. And, and God says, listen, you can go into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, all of this amazing stuff. And he says, it's not about the promise, it's about the person. And when you understand that your destiny, your future tomorrow, next week, 10 years from now, it's not necessarily about what you do or don't do. It's about the person of Jesus. And when you fall in love with the person of Jesus, there's nothing that you won't lay down for him. And when you lay it down, this is the beautiful thing. One of two things will happen. If you lay down your future to Jesus and you say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm gonna lay down my destiny before you. When you do that, one of two things is gonna happen. He's gonna give you something that blows your mind. <laughs> He's gonna bring something to your life that you can not even imagine or think or ask for, that you're going to live the most fulfilled life that you could ever ask for, that you had no idea what it looked like. Or the second thing God will do is God will resurrect that thing that you laid down and he'll bring it up and he says, thanks for laying that down. This is what I want you to do. You know, I met a man, um, a friend of mine, he's been in ministry for almost 30 years and God one day, as he was working at his, his, his normal job, God one day came to him and said, I want you to quit your job. And I could, you could imagine just all the thoughts. He had been working at that job for, I think, 30 or 40 years, right? He was three years away from retirement. He was close to getting his pension. Like God said, I want you to quit. Like imagine that conversation around the dinner table, right? Like, uh, you're, no, you're not quitting, right? He quit his job and he started this ministry, this homeless ministry where he's ministering to homeless people. And now in this moment, he has one of the largest homeless ministries in, in West Texas. He's, he's ministering to hundreds of people throughout the day. He's living his most fulfilled life ever. And the crazy part of the story is two weeks after he quit, or I think it was, it was a couple months after he quit, his company went under and shut down. So he was able to extract the majority of his retirement before the company went under. 
And, and you might think beforehand, like, I can't obey God. But remember, God, God has your plans, your good plans in mind. This is what Psalms 139 says. If you can put that scripture verse up there. Psalms 139 says this. Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as there were none of them. Before you even were born, God had written a book about your life, a story about your life, that he has your plans, your future, your destiny, everything mapped up to where you are going to live your most fulfilled life only if you submit to his will and not your will. He's a good God and he has good things for us. And I know it's difficult to trust him with our future, but you can, you can trust him with your future. So do me a favor, stand to your feet as we close today. You can put that idea back up on the screen for me, if you don't mind. The, the, the idea, yeah, there you go. Jesus didn't die, so you wouldn't have to. He died to show you how. He died to show us how to live our life and say, God, this is not my will, it's your will. Not my will, not what I want, but what you want for my life. So Holy Spirit, we just come to you and we just echo that same prayer, that same sentiment that Jesus prayed in that garden of Gethsemane so many years ago. As he was approaching the cross, as he was getting ready to give his life for all of humanity, he again in that moment said, not my will, but your will. Jesus, we just echo those words right now. Come on, just tell him that, church. Not my will. It's not what I want in life. It's your will for my life, God. I lay down everything to you. My hopes, my dreams, my desires, my, my, my insecurities, my, my, my frustrations, God, my bitterness, my pain, my sickness. Every, I lay everything down, God, and I say, not my will, but your will. You know better. The book of Isaiah says that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways, but they're higher than ours. You are God and we are not. And so we submit to your word right now, Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, that God looks on those who tremble at his word. And right now, God, we tremble at your word. We tremble at your word. We hold your word above anything else on this planet. Your word is greater than our opinions. Your word is greater than our thoughts. Your word is greater than, than any social media influence. Your word is greater than the, the most popular, famous pastor of the day. Your word is above everything, God. And so right now we tremble. We submit our life to your word. We love you and we bless you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that as we lay our life down, just as Jesus promised, that we would find true life and happiness and joy. Pray that you would bless those here today. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen. So before we leave, I want to ask two questions before we dismiss. If we have some altar ministers or altar workers, if you could come up here. Um, but there's just two things that I like to do before we end the service. The first thing is this. Um, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, or maybe you have and, you, and you're not quite sure that you're in a relationship with him, this is, this is the idea here is that we're not, we're not just praying a prayer, right? We're not just repeating after somebody, but to follow Jesus means to follow him, to submit to his word, to, to submit to his 
lordship in your life. And if you've never really accepted Jesus into your heart, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So our altar ministers will be up here and you can come and pray with one of them. And then two, secondly, if you're here today, and I just have one rule about church is that it's okay to struggle. You're, you know, struggle is going to happen. You're going to go through difficult time. But the only rule is that you can't do it by yourself. Okay, that's the only rule. So if, like, if you're going to struggle, okay, if you're going to go through difficulty, okay, we got it. We're going to be here with you, but you can't do it by yourself because that's not okay. So if you're, if you're going through a difficult time in life, we want to pray with you. We want to strengthen you, encourage you as well. Maybe even just give you a hug and some encouragement, but um, that's, that's, those are my invitations. So if you don't know the Lord, come and meet the Lord. And if you're, you're going through a difficulty, you can't do it by yourself. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor. Put your hand on your heart for me. Jesus, I I bless these here today. I I thank you, Father God, that through their submission to your word and through their laying down of their life, Father, they're going to find peace, joy, hope, happiness, and fulfillment in you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard, and we'll see you guys next time.